privilege to be here this evening. My name is Benjamin Broyles, my wife Patricia, and we have two daughters, Audrey and Hadassah. They're not here with me this evening. My wife is 38 weeks pregnant, so she decided to stay by close by the hospital where the baby is going to be born, Lord willing. And we are church planting missionaries to the Balkans. How many of y'all know where the Balkans are at? All right, so we got a few, okay? For the rest of y'all, please take one of our prayer cards. Pray for us, and then on the back, you'll be able to see a map of exactly where that is. So you'll find Italy there. Right across from Italy is the Balkan Peninsula. There's about 12 countries in that region, 55 million people. And the vast majority of those people have never seen a church like this one that preaches the Word of God. So there's a great need for the gospel to be proclaimed. I'll share a little bit about how the Lord guided us there as well. I actually didn't grow up here in the States. I actually grew up in that country right there, in Brazil. My parents are missionaries in Brazil, have been there for over 31 years. And uh, I'm very thankful for the opportunity of growing up on the mission field. Growing up on the mission field, there's nothing like it. Um, you all, something's always happening. It's always exciting, and it's amazing to see the hand of God at work in those places. So I'm very thankful for the opportunity of growing up on the mission field. I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, growing up on the mission field, I had the privilege of hearing the gospel every day of my life. Because Sunday morning my dad was preaching it, Sunday night he was preaching it, Wednesday night he was preaching it. Then the rest of the week my mom preached it to us because we were homeschooled and we always had a Bible class before we did anything else. So I heard it constantly and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to hear it at a very young age. But you know, it's not enough for you to come to church, it's not enough for you to be a part of Sunday school, it's not enough for you even to go out witnessing in gospel outreach if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And at the age of seven, I knew the gospel. I understood it all. I had even shared it with my friends before. See, in Brazil, as you go out to play, you usually don't play in your yard because you pretty much don't have a yard. And uh, so you go out into the street, and everyone goes out there, and you get to play. And I remember uh, sitting down with one of my friends called Pedro, and I sat down with him, and I remember sharing the gospel with him, sharing the story of Jesus Christ with him, how he came to this earth. He lived the perfect life, died in our place, rose again the third day, shared that all with him. But at that age... I didn't know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I had never trusted in him. But at the age of seven, I remember uh, it was a Wednesday evening like this one, and uh, we're getting ready for church. My parents had uh, eight kids, so Wednesday evening was very much just get something to eat and get in the car and get to church on time. And uh, I remember getting something to eat, sitting down, and as I got ready to uh, pray for the piece of bread that I had, I realized that if I were to die at that moment, I would go straight to hell because I knew the gospel. I understood that those who died without trusting in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that's where they went. And I knew that I had never done that. But that evening, I repented of my sins and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was wonderfully saved. And if that's you this evening, you can be in church your entire life. You could go out witnessing. But if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're still lost. So trust in Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in him. There's nothing better than knowing where you're going for eternity. And knowing for sure that you are going to heaven. At the age of 13, I uh, remember going through, really searching for what God wanted me to do with my life. I remember as I was searching, I reading the Bible, doing my devotions. And if you want to know what God wants for your life, this is where you're going to get the answers. The Bible has the answer for every aspect of our lives. The Bible is an amazing book. God left it for us to use as a manual for our life here on this earth. God, there's a reason that God left his word here. And it's for us to use. It's for us to study. It's for us to get to know him better. And I remember as I was studying, something stood out to me. As you get to the end of the Gospels and as you get to the end of the part where Jesus, he's already died, he's buried, resurrected the third day, having victory over death. And then it's those last moments that he has with his disciples. 
know, those very last moments, and it's very similar to someone on their deathbed. We pay attention to people who are about to pass away. Both my grandparents had passed away in the last few years, and I remember, I remember as I would leave my grandfather's house, my grandparents' house, I remember he would, um, I remember those last few times, specifically because I remember him saying, Benjamin, I probably won't see you next time. Now, he'd been saying that for many, many years now, but now I really didn't believe to expect to see him again. He was 94 years old. And I remember as I would leave his house, I remember those last few times, he said, Benjamin, I probably won't see you next time. He said, oh, I want to share with you something from the Word of God. And I remember the very last time I left his house, he said, I just want to pray with you. I just want to pray with you and pray for your family. And I remember sitting down in that room, that sunroom that he was in. He sat down, and he, he was in his, his chair, and I sat down close by him. And I remember specifically the words that he prayed. Why? Because I didn't expect to see him again. And that was the last time I saw him. A few weeks later, he passed away and passed on into glory. He's with his, he's with his Savior now. But you see, I paid attention because I didn't expect to see him again. Those words were important to me. Why? Because they were his last words that I got to hear. You see, this is Jesus' last words, his last moments, his last instructions to his disciples. We expect them to be important. And they are. What did Jesus leave his disciples with? Jesus left his disciples with going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because that's what Jesus wants. That is our Savior's desire. Your Savior's desire is that all may know who he is and what he has done. And the reality is, the world doesn't know. The reality is, the vast majority of the world doesn't know. Over 50% of the world has not heard a clear presentation of the gospel. That's almost 4 billion people in this world that has not been, someone hasn't sat, sat down with them and shared the gospel with them. For how they can be saved. Whether we realize it or not, we're only about 5% of this world's population. The United States is only 5% of the world's population. 95% of the world lives outside the United States. We're not very, very much. We're only 5%. And yet, 95, 96% of preachers, 96% of preachers preach inside this country. 96% of preachers preach to only 5% of the world. And only 4% are preaching to 95% of the world's population. That's not right. They need the gospel. Our Savior gave a command. He gave us a command, and that command that he gave to his disciples that day, that is our command. That is every single Christian's command. That is Jesus' command to me. That is Jesus' command to you. That is our job. And remember as I started thinking through that, those, those thoughts came in, I studied through it, and and I really got a conviction that I knew that God wanted me to give my life to full-time missions. It was just my reasonable service to give my life to full-time missions, to reaching the world with the gospel. I know that's what God called me to do at that age, and everything from then on was to prepare for that. 2016, my wife and I, we got married, and my wife is actually a Brazilian, so if she were here this evening, you could practice your Portuguese with a native speaker. No, but you can practice with me. I know Portuguese as well. No, but girl, we got married in 2016, moved to a new church plant. The Lord allowed us to help start that church off from scratch. There's nothing like starting a church. Why? Because it's exciting. You start the church, there's no one in it. You have to go out and reach the people. And we would go out every evening and we would knock doors, invite people to church, share the gospel with those people. It was amazing to see God work, getting to win people to the Lord, start discipling those believers. There's nothing like a new Christian, especially a Christian who doesn't know the Bible. 
And you, you get to, to share the gospel, and they get saved, and then they, their desire is to know their Savior more and more. And uh, you start sharing where the books of the Bible are, and you start saying, well, the, the book of, and they're like, what, what's that? And you're like, well, there's actually, right here in the beginning of the Bible, it shows all the books of the Bible and where they're at. And that's how they start out. That's how they start out finding where things are. There's nothing like super exciting, amazing what God did in that place, and we're thankful to be a small part of that. From there, the Lord allowed me to be the pastor of a church in Brazil in the state of Rio de Janeiro. I pastored that church for a year. Uh, wonderful things. The Lord blessed that ministry. From there, we came back to the States in 2019 and started working on my wife's documentation, got her visa and all that stuff in order. But while we were doing that, God allowed me to be the assistant pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Dayton, Tennessee. And we're very thankful for Calvary because that is now our home church. That is our sending church. And they've been so, so good to us. We love Calvary very, very, very much. Uh, from there, the Lord allows us to visit the country of Albania for the first time. And uh, I want to share how the Lord took us there. We prayed, Lord, how, where would you have us to go as missionaries? Would it be back in Brazil or would it be somewhere else that has even less gospel? So we started praying specifically for countries that have very little gospel presence. Albania is a country that's 60% Muslim, but less than 1% evangelical. What does that mean? There's, there's actually less than 1% Bible-believing Christians in that country. There's a great need for the gospel to be proclaimed. There's a great need for churches to be established that will continue proclaiming his name in that country. But as we got to visit the country, we saw that there really aren't very many churches. There are actually very, very, very few country, churches in that country. You can travel Albania extensively. It's only the size of New Jersey, so you can get around in it quickly. But as we traveled the city, we saw that really is the case that there are few, very few churches. But everywhere you go, you find mosques. Everywhere you go in that country. Um, you can be in the smallest little town visiting, traveling through, but there's, there's going to be a mosque there. As you're traveling through the northern part of Albania, uh, we pass through a town, driving through a town of maybe 100, 150 houses in that little town. And we pulled off to the side of the road, jumped down and started taking some pictures. Right there off the, off the road was, was a mosque that was almost finished being built. And when it was finished, the whole city could, sit, could fit inside that mosque. There's enough spaces for everyone. And they're being indoctrinated with something that's not the truth. They're being indoctrinated with something that, that is a lie. I remember my wife and I, our first day there in Albania, the first morning there, uh, we were outside reading our Bibles together, just doing some Bible reading. And as we were sitting there reading the Bible, I heard something I'd never personally heard before in my life, which is the call to prayer. And every, anywhere you're at, you can hear that call to prayer. They have loudspeakers up on their towers, and they send it out all through the city. And anywhere you are at, you can hear that. I thought, wow, I'm reading God's truth, and they're being lied to by Satan. I have his truth. I'm reading it, and yet they're being lied to. They're being lied to because they're being told that if you pray enough, if you follow enough rules, if you do these different things, you might get into heaven. But that's not what God wants for them. That's not what God says. God says that you may know you have eternal life. They can know they have eternal life. They can know that they're going to heaven. But how will they know if no one has ever told them? How, how will they know that they're going if no one has ever explained to them the word of God? And they, they can't. They don't. And uh, there's such a great need for the gospel to claim. But with that great need, there's also great opportunities. 
Albania is one of the most open Muslim countries in the world. You're allowed to start churches. You're allowed to preach the gospel. You're allowed to invite people to church and give out gospel literature. All those things are free, and the, and the government doesn't give any pushback, and the Muslim community gives very little pushback as well. You're free to do all those different things. And contrary to what a lot of people believe, Muslim people are searching. Muslim people are searching because they know what their grandparents and their parents have followed for so long does not give them hope. And they're searching. And we have the hope that they're searching for. We have the hope that can set them free in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. You get to sit down and everyone says the same thing, that the younger generation is the generation that is most open to the gospel. People between the ages of 15 and 30 are the most open to the gospel. Which is wonderful, because if you can reach them while they're young, they're going to have a great influence into the future of that country. They're going to have a great influence into the other countries as well. And we're praying that God would allow us to start many churches there in Albania. Uh, Not just Albania, our long-term goal is to work out of Albania into neighboring countries. Our goal is not only to start churches, but to train up the leadership to follow. It's not enough for you to start a church and, 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 to, and to leave it, but start a church, establish leadership, train up the future pastors and leaders of those churches. My wife and I, when we pray, we pray for Albania. We pray that God would send us young men, send us young people that we can train up to be the future pastors and leaders of those churches. That way we can multiply and as we go out to continue start churches, they would be able to go out into other areas and starting churches as well. And multiplying the word of God, multiplying churches, and multiplying disciples. We're excited about what God's doing. We're excited about uh, the people we're going to be able to work with. The first two years, we'll be working alongside a veteran mission, missionary that's already in Albania. Uh, they've started several different churches, uh, established many other works as well. And we're excited. Just to give you an, an example, they've started a church in an area that is 96% Muslim, as a neighborhood that's 96% Muslim. But it's the fastest growing church of all the other churches that they started. And uh, just to have an idea, they, they met a young man there and, and they started sharing the gospel with him. And, and uh, he got excited and he wanted to invite people to church. And, and just the last year, he has brought five different families to that church, have joined that church. He has been reaching them. God is doing great works. In another, city, another church in that city, uh, in that same city that they've started, another church there, they, had a, they were going to baptize five people in December. And uh, as they got ready to baptize them, only four of them showed up on Sunday morning. So they baptized those four different people. And afterwards, like good Baptists, they had lunch, right? And they, everyone was eating together and having a great time. And that fifth guy showed up that was going to be baptized. He got up there. He said, hey, we had an emergency at work. I had to stay at work. He said, but I'm here now, and I want to get baptized. And he got baptized, and they went back inside. They had to have the baptism for him. God is doing great things. And we're excited to be a small part of it. And we're excited about what God's going to do over there. We're over 96% of our needed support. So Lord willing, June of this year, we'll be headed over to Albania. Pray that God would already prepare the hearts of the people there. And also pray that God would already uh, take care of my wife's citizenship. We've already applied for a citizenship here in the States. would make everything much easier as we transition to Albania as well. Are there any questions about Albania, about the Balkan region, uh, about what's going on there in that, in that part of the world? There are no McDonald's in the country of Albania. Not one, but that's all right. That's all right. No problem. They've got good food. They've got good food. So, any questions? Yes? What language do they speak there and are you fluent? They speak Albanian and I'm not fluent in Albanian. We do speak Portuguese as well, English, but we'll be working on our third language once we get over there. Actually, already working on a little bit here in 
in the States getting basic phrases and sentences down, uh, but we'll be learning it full time once we get there. Excellent question. Very good. It's also very widely spoken in that area, so we'll be able to use it in multiple countries. So, very good. Excellent. Any others? If you have any other questions afterwards, I would love to answer them. Please come to me. I'd love to share more about Albania. We have a display back there. Please go ahead and take a look at anything that's on there. Uh, we love the people of Albania, and it's a very interesting place. I'd love to share more afterwards. I encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to see how to be an effective light. God has called us to be lights in this world, in this dark world. We're called to be lights. Let your lights shine, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That is what God wants us to do. But in this passage, we're going to see how we can be effective lights. 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll read the first three verses and then we'll get on into the passage as well. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to start verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with a prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now very quickly here in this passage, we're going to see three ways how we can be an effective light. And we're going to see that through the life of this little girl. Now Naaman is the big name here in this passage. And if you've been in church any amount of time, or if you've grown up in church, you're going to know the story of Naaman. You're going to know right off the bat, you hear his name, you're going to say, yes, he had leprosy. And we know at the end of the story, he's healed. It's an amazing story of how God can, can take care of situations that we can't. You know, sin's a great pic, uh, leprosy is a great picture of sin in our lives. Just as, as we are born with, this, with he had a problem, a, a leprosy problem he couldn't take care of, and he had no way of taking care of that, but God had a way to take care of his problem. We also have a sin problem that we can't take care of. It doesn't matter how good we are, how rich we are, how powerful we are. None of those things help with the problem that's at hand. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus that we can come to the Father. He is the only way to the Father. It's a great picture here, but I want to jump into verse 2. We meet this little girl in verse 2, and we're going to see three ways how we can be an effective light through this girl's life. Verse 2 says, The Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. That means she was very, very young. Probably not past the age of 12. She's a very young girl. We don't know her name. We don't know her background. But we do know her situation. Her situation was she was taken out of her family. She was taken out of her city. She was taken out of her comfort zone. And she was taken to a strange place. And we see, first of all, that she was a true servant. She was a true servant in the sense that she had no choice whatsoever in the situation. See, now, we don't put ourselves into servant situations because we want to. If you ever start out in a new job, you're most likely going to start out very low. But what is our automatic, what is our response? We want to work our way up. No one wants to be the lowest person at a job site. No one wants to be the lowest person in a workplace. We all are, our tendency is to work up, but we don't want to stay like that. You see, but this girl, she's put in this position, had no choice whatsoever. She didn't want to be a servant, but she was put into that servant, as a servant. 
But you know, God calls us as Christians to be servants. We are called, we are called to be like Christ. And our Savior, he was a servant. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. This is what our Savior did. He came to earth, he came to earth, and he became like his creation. He came, he's the one who created everything. And yet he came, he humbled himself. He came here, he lived like you and I. He came in one of the most humble ways possible. He came, he was born in a barn. He was born in the stable. He was born in a, where, where animals were kept. Humble. Now, my wife is 38 weeks pregnant. And the last thing I want is for us to have that baby in a barn. We do not want that. I do not want to have to put our, our little girl in, in the, the feeding trough. That's not, that's not what I desire. I want what's best for my, my daughter. I want, what's, I want what's best for her. Yet our Savior came in the most humble way possible. Why? Because he came as a servant. He came to serve. He came to put himself in our place. He lived in our place. He died in our place. One of the most humble things that we can see our Savior do is as he, he goes through his disciples and he's, he get, kneels down and he washes their feet. And as he washes their feet, he, he, he shows how to be a servant. He exemplifies that. Why? Because he wants us to do the same. He has called us to be like him. He wants us to be like him. And he served we want to have an effective life, we want to be an effective light for Christ on this earth, we will have to be servants. We will have to serve each other. We will have to serve others outside of this church. You know, one of the things that we think of as we come to church is we shouldn't only come thinking, how much can I get out of church? We should come in thinking, how much can I give at church? How much can I give in praise to my Savior, to my God, but also how much can I give to others? We are called to put others before ourselves. We are a body of believers. Imagine if everyone came to church with the mentality of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help someone today. I'm going to be an encouragement to another Christian today. If everyone did that, we would all leave encouraged. We would all leave built up because we're all part of the same body. That is what we should be doing as believers. We should be true servants. But not only that, in verse 3, we see this little girl. She, was also, she also had a true testimony. She also had a true testimony. We see this as verse 3 goes on to say, And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. This little girl, she initiated the conversation about her God. She started speaking to a person who was her master. This is Naaman's wife. She came to serve Naaman's wife. But she came up and she's the one who started the conversation. She, she shared about who her God was and what he could do. She realized who her God was and she knew what he could do. 
Maybe somewhere along the line, her parents had taught her and showed her who her God was. And, or maybe she had seen Elisha do some miracle at that time when he was a prophet. Maybe she had seen something, but somewhere she understood who her God was and what he could do. And she couldn't keep quiet about it. She couldn't keep quiet about sharing what her God could do. Do we realize the God that we serve? We serve the almighty God. How are we keeping that from the other people? How can we keep from sharing who our God is to other people? Man, we serve the God of miracles. We serve the God who, who can turn the water into wine. We serve the God who can feed feeding of the 5,000, feeding so many people out of nothing. We serve the God who can say, peace be still and the water stop. We serve the almighty God. How can we keep that from other people? How can we keep back from sharing that? See, she had a true testimony. She started somewhere. You know, we need to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. If we're going to be an effective light, if we want to have a true testimony, we have to start somewhere. We're going to have to begin somewhere. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zone. My father, he is... He is from East Tennessee and from a little place called Stinking Creek. If you're going up I-75, you'll probably pass it. It's called Stinking Creek, back of the sticks, back of nowhere. They had to go 30 minutes to get to the first gas station when he was growing up. He's a really shy guy. One of the most shy people you ever meet. Um, not so much anymore, but he was like that when he was growing up. He said when he went to the University of Tennessee to get an ag degree, he, uh, one of his first classes was they would, you know, they would judge cows and he judged some cows, put them in order, and the, and the professor said, tell me why you put them in that order. He was standing about 12 feet away. He said, I was so shy, I couldn't even talk loud enough for my teacher to hear. He said, that's how shy I was. He said, but when I was in college, I knew God was calling me to mission field. He knew that God was calling him to be, go to Brazil as a church planter to start churches there. He said, if I'm going to go to Brazil to start churches, and I know that's what God wants me to do, I have to be able to do it here. I have to be able to witness to people here. So he said, I started, he said that I started memorizing verses, I started memorizing the gospel, and, and I got it down, I had everything prepared. He said, I even, I would share it to the mirror. He said, man, I, would, I had it down, I had it down to a system. So I had it all ready, and he said, now I had to go out and share it with someone. He said, so I made a promise to God that every week I would share the gospel with one person. Every week I would share the gospel personally, talking, not giving out a track, but I would share the gospel with someone every week. He said, usually it came around to Saturday, and you think, oh, man, I haven't done it. And I, just, I haven't shared it. He said, so I'll take it. He would go out and get a VW, a red VW bug at that time, and, and he would go out, and he said, in Knoxville, there was a lot of hitchhikers during that time. He said, so, man, I would go in until I found the first hitchhiker, and I would be like, cop on in. Which way are you going? Like, I'm going now. He said, all right, let's go. And he'd start taking that person, and he'd start sharing the gospel with that guy. He would start sharing the gospel with him. And he said, whenever I was finished with, with sharing the gospel, he's like, man, I don't have anything else to say. So I'll just pull over and say, all right, get out. This is as far as I'm going. And they would hop out and turn around and go back the other way. And that's what he did. But he had to start somewhere. That year, he led nine people to Christ. He led nine people to Christ. He said it was one of, one of, he said it was one of the most exciting times in my life. He said, because that's when I started realizing that anyone can do it. That anyone can do it. But you have to start somewhere. Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to take someone through the Bible and say, this is what God's done for you? Let me share with you what he can do for you as well. You have to start somewhere. You have to have a true testimony. This girl didn't just have a true testimony. She also had true compassion. Remember who Naaman is to this little girl. 
Naaman is the one who caused all her problems. Naaman is the one who controlled the armies of Syria. He's the one who sent the armies into her country, and they took her captive, brought her back to his country, and now she is serving Naaman's wife as a slave. Naaman is literally her number one enemy. And yet, look at the compassion that she had on this man. Look at the way she talks. She says, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. This is her enemy she's talking about. And yet her desire for her enemy was that he would be healed. That's her desire. That's, good. That's what she wanted for him. He's the one who caused all the hardship, all the problems. I don't even know what happened to her family. But her desire was that he would be healed. What is our desire for a lost and dying world that passes by us every day? That co-worker, that family member, that person you drive through in the drive through at Hardee's every week. Those people that you go by that you have a pretty good idea that they're on the way to hell. What is our desire? Does it move us to do anything? Because compassion is different than pity. Pity is looking on a bad situation, just letting it go and saying that's a, that's a horrible situation. Compassion is, is, is what moves us to act to do something about that situation. See, she had compassion. She did what she could do. She saw a situation She said, let me share with her, with his wife, how he can be healed. I know where he can be healed. I know where he can get that healing. I know where he can be saved of his leprosy. It's with Elisha. It's with my God. It's there. Let me share about it. When we look at a lost and dying world, we're represented by all these countries around here. They're just walking in straight to hell. Two people die on average every second. Two people pass into eternity every second. My wife got me a watch a few years back. And I remember as I was driving and we were visiting churches. We were going from Tennessee to North Carolina. And as I was driving, all the girls were asleep. They usually do that to me, right? They all go to sleep and just let me drive. And No, I'm just kidding. I was driving, but they were all asleep. And I was sitting there and all of a sudden I started hearing noise. I thought, what is that noise? Like I'm... Turned off the air, I was trying to listen to the motor, like what is happening with the car? And I was just trying to figure out what it was, and I was just really paying attention. And all of a sudden I realized it's my watch. My watch is ticking. And I couldn't help but think every time that thing ticks, people are passing into eternity. They could be passing into eternity right in Albania. Right then. Right then. Passing on. Going on. And I don't even know where they're going. Remember as we were driving through Toronto, Toronto is the capital city of Albania. There's about 500,000 people in the city proper, about a million people in the surrounding area. So as you're driving through one of the parts of Toronto, there's an open air market over here. There's a little road, a bunch of coffee shops over here. And I remember driving down through there and I looked over here and there was a guy that was waiting for us to pass by. He was looking up at us. He had a plastic bag, probably bought something at the open air market. And he was getting ready to cross. But... As we pass, I remember it was one of those moments where you're looking at people and they look back up at you and you kind of lock eyes for a second. But I realized that guy will live his entire life in this neighborhood in Albania and no one will ever invite him to church. I thought, wow. I looked over here and there's a lady drinking coffee and I could, I could look at her and I realized that she will live her entire life in that neighborhood and no one will ever tell her that Jesus died for her. And it broke my heart. Because I, I, I 
had, I had what they needed. But at that time, I couldn't even share it because I didn't know the language. And as we drove through there, my wife and I, I remember we were sitting in the back. I turned to my wife and I said, I can't help them right now. I said, but, but they're here already. They're here already. And they already need it. They already need it. And my wife and I were brokenhearted. It broke my heart to see them like that. And, and we cried in the back of that car. We prayed together. We prayed for the people. And we continued to pray that God would give us the opportunity to go back to that guy. To go back to that woman. To share the hope that we have and the hope that they need. And remember, that's the compassion that our Lord had. So he looked on the multitudes. He was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Our Savior was moved with compassion. He did something about it. He died on that cross. He rose again the third day, having victory over death. And he also trained up the disciples. So that when he went back to the Father, they turned this world upside down. What are we doing about it? Do we have compassion? Or is it just something we say we have? Because if you say you have compassion, I know it will show in your actions. It will show in our actions. What we are doing. See, girl, she was a true servant. We're called to be servants. She had a true testimony. we got to get out witnessing. We have to have compassion on those that, were, that are around us. See, what happened to the rest of the story, you know. Naaman gets healed. Naaman realizes there's only one true God. In verse, in verse 15, he says, he says, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And then he says he's going to worship that one true God. Verse 17 says, For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. Amazing things happened here. And all this that happened here didn't just affect Naaman. It affected his servants. It affected his wife. It affected the king because Naaman was his right-hand man. It affected all the soldiers that he, was, that he commanded and all the people that were in power at that time. It affected so many different people. But none of that would have happened without the testimony of one little girl. One testimony. One thing. And I know that we aren't anything big. Our testimony isn't great. But if we're willing, God can take our small testimony and do great things with it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that I pray that our hearts would be changed. I pray that our, our mentality would change. Why are we here on this earth? God, there's a reason that we're here on this earth. And I know, I understand. But God, I pray that we would change our mind, change our hearts, that, that we would realize that the reason we're here on this earth is to reach the world with the gospel. That is why we're here. We are called to proclaim your word throughout the nations. God, I pray that that's what we'd be doing where we're at. Now, in this city, but God, I pray that that wouldn't be it. I pray that you would use us much farther than just where we're at physically. God, I pray that you would continue to raise up laborers. Lord, that's what you told us to pray for. You said to pray for more laborers. God, I pray for more laborers. Lord, I pray you'd raise them up inside this church. God, I pray you'd continue to use this church to be a beacon of hope in this community. God, I pray that you'd bless and continue to grow the ministry here, Lord. We'll give you honor and glory for it all. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.